dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. There's a lot written about leadership today, and one of the most popular themes is the question of how to motivate people to follow. It seems like pretty much everyone agrees that people like to follow winners. That doesn't surprise me, considering the fact that our Lord himself gave that lesson to his apostles. He is the ultimate victor, and he sends his apostles forth to proclaim his victory. What does that mean for us practically today in our businesses and in our families? How can we better make Christ's victory present for the people we lead? All right, so we're continuing today with our ninth in this series. It seems like it's gone by so fast about looking at the way that Jesus trains his apostles as a pattern for us to understand both the way that he trains us in our own discipleship and also as a way for us to be better leaders in our world today. I mean, if I could be more like Christ in my leadership, well, I think, <laughs> I think everybody would be happier, right? Like, what if Jesus was your boss? Like, wouldn't you be happy? You're like, yes, of course, he'd be the greatest boss. You know, if Jesus was your coach, if Jesus was your teacher, you know, this is, and what, that's kind of the goal. I mean, if we are Christians, we're following in the footsteps of Jesus, and we're also making Jesus's power and Jesus's leadership, therefore, present through our own, right? So the, 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 I want to understand, therefore, well, how did Jesus lead? And when I look at this, of course, they, you know, we have, this is the ninth in the series, so we see all these different aspects of Jesus leading his apostles so that they could lead like he led. And I want to focus with you today on the sense of victory that formed the framework of Christ's leadership. He led his apostles from victory to victory. Now, of course, this has to be really shown you know, deeply because Christ's victory was a victory that went through death, through suffering, through failure, really. And, and that's the whole beauty of it. Our, our Christian victory is not defined in a totally worldly way. There is, of course, a worldly sense of victory, of overcoming, of success, of prosperity, and all of that. But that doesn't totally encompass the meaning of victory that we see in our Lord. Because when our Lord is victorious, he's victorious on the cross. Right, let's be sure about this. We talk about victory, a lot of times we define it as, as no problems. Or we define victory as having everything that we need. And, and that's not the sense of a Christian victory. It's not a problem. I mean, we hope you have everything you need. We hope that you have abundance and prosperity. But that doesn't define the kingdom of Christ, where he reigns victorious, is in our souls. And that means in the truth that we know and in the love that we possess and that we have. And in this victory, of course, is much more profound. You know, I'm thinking, for, I'm thinking, for example, of a lot of the rich neighborhoods in the Midwest, right, where I'm from originally. 
And you, and you go to these places that from the 1920s, 1930s, in the heydays of these industrial towns or post-World War II, you know, when the, the, the little town got a government contract to produce Jeeps or whatever it is. And there was all these neighborhoods that sprang up with these big old houses and, you know, and then for most of those Midwestern towns, those neighborhoods have kind of fallen into disrepair and, and sometimes even become, you know, the, the layers of drug addicts or, or districts of town that have become abandoned just as the urban development moves and things happen. And you look at that and you say, well, back in the heyday, the people in those neighborhoods thought that they had everything, that they had victory. But in fact, if that house or those cars or or those social customs were considered victory, where are they now? They're gone. Well, it's not much of a victory. Well, in the same way, if we define our victory as having a great IRA and having a, a vacation home somewhere else in the country and having a jet or whatever, I mean, we're really betrayed. That's not really victory because all those things are, are on the outside of us. You know, you, it, wouldn't it be even a greater or more profound thing to have something on the inside of you that made you victorious whether you had those things or not? Well, of course it would be. And that's the victory that Christ comes to give us. And then, of course, if you have that abundance, well, you'll be able to use it as an instrument of something that you have deep down inside. Wisdom, love, knowledge, truth. Right? But if you don't have wisdom, love, knowledge, truth on the inside, and you have other stuff on the outside, it could actually just be a pretense. You're not really victorious. You're just living at a different level of social economic status. But that doesn't mean you're victorious. Victory comes from the heart. Christ came to conquer the soul and to give us a, a deep down inside of who we are, something that no one and nothing could ever take away. And being a priest, of course, I get to see this, this victory in the, in the, as I meet people in the hospitals uh, and I meet people in the moments of devastation or of worry, of anxiety about, uh, about different prognoses that they get from their doctors or worry about their businesses or, or the troubles that can come from, from lawsuits and, and children that struggle and bullies that are attacking them at schools and, and all these things that can really overwhelm us. And I've seen people both crumble underneath that pressure and I've seen Christians live in those circumstances with something that is greater than them. And that's what I want you to have. And that's what God wants you to have. God doesn't want to make your sense of self or your definition of victory contingent upon the things of this passing world. God wants you to have a victory inside of you that's bigger than what happens to you on the outside. He wants you to have something inside of you that allows you to walk through whatever fire and whatever water is going to be thrown at you with peace in your heart and in your soul. That's a, that's a victory that the world knows not of, right? That's, and yet that's the victory of God. And that's the victory that we see Jesus living before us. I mean, his life on earth was not easy. He got cast out from towns. He was persecuted by, by his enemies. 
He had people trying to trip him up. The rich were going after him. The poor were going after him. You had religious authorities going after him. You had secular authorities going after him. Heck, he was born in Bethlehem and shortly thereafter was chased away under threat of death by the king of Israel himself. Had to go into exile. Had to be raised in a foreign country before being brought back to Israel. I mean, you know, you have a whole saga of the life of Christ, which is one suffering after another. And yet Jesus doesn't allow that suffering to be to limit the power of his leadership. And that's what the message I want to hear with you today because we have the same challenges in front of us today. You're driving on your way right now into the office and you've got a presentation to give. You've got people to motivate. You've got bosses to, who aren't impressed with you. You've got difficult things that are circumstances that are coming your way. And, and you could look at all of that and then try to pay, play dodgeball, you know, on the outside and just afraid that anything's going to hit you. Or you could face all those things saying, I'm already victorious in Christ. And in that mindset, I'm leading the situation now. The dialogue between me and my challenge is not the challenge speak, speaking its terms of surrender to me, but rather me speaking words of hope directly into that challenge. And when it comes to leadership, it's obvious the one that people are going to follow they're going to follow the one who has the more interior power. So if, if the circumstances around you are more powerful than you, everyone around you will follow those circumstances. But if you walk into those circumstances like the Christian that you are, the, one, the follower of Jesus Christ that you are, well, then you become an effective leader for those who are watching you. And that's what we want to look. That's what we want. That's why God's put you in that position of authority. It's to speak those words of hope and to be that witness. How do you get that strength? The same way the apostles did, from Jesus. Are you a young adult between the ages of 23 and 35 and wondering what God is calling you to do next? Do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, March 19th through March 25th at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit www.daregreatthings.org slash riseabove. So there's a lot of writing done today about leadership and, and, and all of it's good. You know, I, th I hope all of you get a chance to read this stuff and read these books on leadership. But when it comes down to it, a leader can be defined by whether or not they have followers, right? Like, it's, a, it's like one of my mentors told me one time, he said, Father Nathan, you know what leaders are? And I said, what? He goes, a leader is someone who looks over their shoulder and sees people following. I think that that's a good definition of a leader. It's as good as any. And, and you say, well, what makes people follow a leader? Why would people want to follow you? Right? It's because you found a secret. You, you found a, a recipe of success. You wouldn't be in the positions that you have today if you weren't doing things right. Okay, so like the fact is, you're to the degree that you do things right, the degree that you're successful, to the degree that you're victorious, people will follow you. You will have an influence. So if you break that down, it means that your influence, it has two different dimensions to it. Number one, are you truly vic victorious? Are you truly successful? And number two, do you show that victory to the others? So when we look at the life of Christ, we have, of course, the perfect victor, the king of kings, one who overcomes the whole world. 
And he shows that, number one, he is that. Number two, he shows that to his apostles. So let's take a look at that. So where is Christ victorious? Well, he's victorious, number one, because his divinity is inside of his humanity. So, we're, you know, that's, of course, a given. We're just going to say that. Because he's God, he's always victorious, right? But in his humanity, we, we see that he also lives through facing down temptation when the devil is put to flight by three different rebuttals from Christ during the moment of Christ's temptation. The devil comes to tempt him. Jesus rebut, rebuts him three different times. Victor, victory. We see that when Jesus is pushed out of towns, he shakes the dust off his sandals and tells his apostles to do the same. And he keeps on rolling. He meets people who are looking for God like the Samaritan woman, and he brings her into an encounter with God so strong that he converts the entire village. He, we see at the, at the sharing of the loaves and the fishes at John chapter 6, when the people have a need, he meets the need and feeds them. 5,000 people. I mean, what a number. Can you imagine that scene? It must have been astounding. Uh, he's victorious over the weather when the boat is being submerged by the wind and the waves and he tells it to be calm and instantly the sea is hushed. He's victorious over diseases. He's, vic he's victorious then over what is given to him in his own life. The guy's trying to kill him three different times. Crowds gather around him to arrest him or to stone him or to kill. And three different times, Jesus walks right through the crowds. He's victorious, right? He is in charge. He faces the fear. And even when he goes through his passion, right? We see him being blindfolded, for example, and beaten by the guards. Well, as a, we'd say that's definitely, you know, a sign of defeat. And yet, if you notice, while he's being blindfolded and beaten by the guards, he never responds back with violence. So even though they're hitting him blindfolded, he keeps his dignity. In his silence, there is a hidden condemnation and a stubbornness of the will that maintains his own sense of dignity. The ones who look like buffoons are the guys who blindfold an innocent man, handcuff him, and then beat him. Like the, these guys are the real losers. The real winner is the one who endures all of that for the sake of the love of the Father. In, in the same way, he carries his own cross. And, and then, of course, even when he dies, he gives forth his spirit. He is in charge of his life. And he's, he, he, there's a mystery to this that's so winsome that it attracts the apostles. They're watching their Lord endure so much suffering for the sake of the love that he has for the Father. And St. Paul will later on even write this in the letter to the Hebrews. He'll say, Jesus, who for the sake of the, of the glory laid up for him, endured the cross, despising its shame. Right? So St. Paul is writing about this experience of seeing our Lord, who for the sake of the glory endures the suffering, despising its shame. He doesn't even care about it for the sake of the glory. He's saying, I'm following this, this person, right? This, of course, God, right, in him, but I'm following him in his humanity because I'm seeing Jesus give me a witness of someone who sees beyond the veil. He sees the Father. He knows the Father. And he's showing me the way for me to follow in my life. I mean, we who are Christians have nothing to be ashamed of. We look around and we're, we're, sometimes we, we, we're bashful about our faith as if maybe the Bible isn't right. 
you know. Maybe there's some sort of other theory out there that's better than what we find in sacred scripture. And we're, we can be tempted. We can be tempted by these myths or these other legends or these other philosophies that float around in our world. But at the same time, you don't have to be. And I, I want to give you confidence in the scriptures because in the scriptures is God-breathed wisdom. There is a knowledge in the Bible that is infallible and that is infinite. Everything that we need to know in our life is found in the Bible. All the wisdom that we need to know about how to live and who to live for and what's the truth about our identity and about the way that we should lead. And all, I mean, everything is found in there that we need. And there's nothing in there in the Bible that is wrong. We have an infallible guide to truth in sacred scripture. It's for us to cling to that truth and to implement it in our life. But at the same time, there's a victory there, you see, that we can follow. And what I'd like you to do, I mean, if you're, if you're doubting that, you're kind of like wondering about that, go ahead and wrestle with it. Take a look seriously at the other philosophies, line them up against Christianity, fact for fact, truth for truth, and ask yourself if, which of the two is more attractive, more fulfilling, you know, has a better option. I mean, on the one hand, you can have a philosophy that says there's nothing but material things. The only truths are those that we can measure. There is no life after death. We don't know where we came from and we don't know why we exist. And you can compare that with Christianity. And you can say like, we actually have an immortal soul. We were created by God with a purpose to, and that purpose is eternal, that we live after we die, that love never ends, that sins can be forgiven, you know, and then just compare the two. I mean, it, it, and I invite you to do that in all seriousness. Take your doubt, whatever it might be, and look at it in the light of the truth of what we're proposing. And, and all of them, I don't think you'll find any other philosophy. I'm convinced that you'll find no other philosophy that is more beautiful, more compelling, more hero heroic, more wonderful than what we have proposed to us by Christ. Because the victory is there. And that's why we need to then follow. Well, it's the same way then. You can look at your own life. And I went through all the, those, the presence of the victory in Christ that allowed the apostles to say, yes, I'm going to follow in that truth. I'm going to give my life to that. The fact that he was victorious in truth made him an attractive leader for people. Now ask yourself if it's the same for you. Where are you with embracing that victory of Christ? Right? It, it, to the degree that you've embraced that victory of Christ, you will be an attractive person for people to follow. It does, it's not an absolute thing because our sense of victory isn't absolute either. And even Jesus was rejected and refused by many people. I'm not giving you some sort of recipe for success here, but I am giving you a map of what God is calling you to. And in your leadership, the foundation of a Christian leader needs to be that we are leading you out of victory towards victory. I want to talk to you more about that. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. Well, we live in a world today where there's a lot of threats, of, uh, a lot of dangers, a lot of things people are insecure about. You know, we've got political things going on and we've got societal things going on and it causes a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of people today who are just uncertain 
I'm and and I'm not the only one to say it. I go around and as I talk to people, I hear people repeating that over and over again. It seems like the foundations of our culture, for example, are being questioned and redefined and and moved around. And it's making a lot of people very uncomfortable because people don't really want to work at the level of foundations. You know, most of us want to live at a level of effect, not at the level of the causes. You know, we would rather just like go through and be able to do the things we want to do and take for, for granted the security that comes from the foundations that enable us to do that, right? So, but, so when those foundations are questioned or moved or manipulated, it, it makes people very nervous. And in, in that context, you know, this is the Christian moment. There's a lot of people that then say, I, I wish I didn't live at this time. I wish I could have it at a different time where things were easier. And I want to remind you that God made you for this time and that you've been put here for a purpose. And you who are the leaders, you're the lawyers, you're the doctors, you're the dentists, you are the, the, the owners of small businesses, you're the mothers and the fathers of the families that live at this time and it's for a purpose. You were made for this moment. And so you say, well, how am I supposed to lead at a moment of uncertitude? Of, and I say, that's exactly the moment when we need you to lead. This is where you shine. Instead of looking around you to say that all of the oppressive environment that I feel means that I can't shine my light, I'd like you to flip that on its head and say, all of the darkness and the oppression that's around me is the reason why I'm going to shine my light. Because this is the moment of hope when people can understand the power of the gospel and the beauty of, of the light of Christ. Because when he was on the earth, there was all kinds of darkness around him. And yet from within, he demonstrated the power of the truth. That his knowledge of God, his love for God, and his trust in, him, in God would not go without reward. And the father raised the son from the dead and glorified the son. And the son ascended to the right hand of the father and is seated at his right hand and reigning over this whole world. That beautiful and powerful truth motivates all of us in the same way. Why would I think, in other words, that somehow or other the evil that's around me is bigger than the God who is within me? Well, it's because we, we lack faith. But the apostles were trained by Christ to believe in that victory. And he gave them moments where they were able to taste it. I'm thinking, for example, at the Mount of Transfiguration, on Mount Tabor, where Jesus was transfigured before them and became his face dazzling white and brighter than the sun. You know, they couldn't even look at him. They fell on their faces before him. And St. Peter says, it is good, Lord, for us to be here. Jesus reveals his glory to them. Or when Jesus walks on the water. Remember that? What, I mean, what an incredible miracle. Is this to show them I'm bigger than the waves and the wind that are around you. I'm there in the midst of that storm. Be not afraid. Now, Jesus, when, he, when they go to arrest him in John in the garden, and the first time he says, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And then he says, it is I. And they take a step back and fall to the ground. I mean, it must have been astounding for the apostles. He reveals to the apostles that he's in charge and that he's victorious. And then even as the darkness surrounds him and he allows himself to go through his passion, he maintains that inner victory. This is a huge lesson for the apostles. In the same way, their lives are not going to be easy. 
Darkness will surround them. Persecutions will abound. Troubles will be with them always. And yet they're asked by Christ to approach the situation from the point of view of victory, from the point of view of God's power, to not allow themselves, in other words, to be led by the difficult circumstances around them, but instead to lead those circumstances towards a better outcome, to fight for what is good and true and holy despite the opposition, right? So, and when we do that, when they do that, the Christian church has the same attitude. I don't think, in other words, that Christianity is firstly a question of playing defense, it is, of course. There's a sense of playing defense, of defending the truth, of defending, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the best defense is a good offense. <laughs> and honestly, the, the Christian message flows so much better when it's a question of playing offense, of moving forward in a proclamation to tell the world where it's going and the wonderful plan that God has for it. Well, to do that, I got to embody that plan myself. It's like that, that incredible line from St. Francis de Sales that I think is so beautiful. He says, you know, a spoonful of honey attracts more flies than a barrel of vinegar. I say, it's like, are people looking at you? Are you giving them a spoonful of honey or a barrel of vinegar? Right? He, he, he later on will say that a sad saint is a sorry saint. Right? Like a, a saint is supposed to be someone who exudes joy, who has a sense of victory within them. And if I want to really lead this world in the name of Christ, well, I need to embody where I'm bringing this world. It's like I said, there's the one hand, the truth of things. The other hand is, are you showing it? Ask you, look around, look, think about your kids and your spouses at home. Are your families that are at home, do they see in you, have you embodied and effectively demonstrated the hope that is in God? I mean, I, and we do this in a million practical ways and none of us are perfect. We can't do it all the time. I'm saying to do it a few times, to fight anyway, to make sure that everyone around you knows that you are happy with where you're going, that you have a vision for life that's compelling, that you know that you are loved and that you believe that the one who loves you is worth celebrating. Right? And in that way, we, we, by, when we embody it, we give our followers permission to embody it too. When we let our light shine, we give permission to everyone around us to shine too. When we go for the heights and we live tall, confident in God, we raise up everyone around us. This is the call of a Christian leader. This is why Christ has you leading. It's not because he's questioning the victory. It's because he wants you to assure everyone else thereof power of you and the power of what he's got for you needs to shine forth today i want you to think about that i want you to, to to ask yourself why is it where is it that i'm imprisoned with fear with dread with negativity where is it that i'm in those chains and where is it how is it that i can let christ's victory flow through me more effectively because that's what i'm here for dare great things for christ Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit 
www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.